0: songs out there that conjure up much emotion? That's one of them. Yes. It touches everything. (laughs) It touches on everything. Let us continue to worship Him as we open up His Word together. Father God, I just praise You for today. We thank You for the chance we have to gather as a As your family, called by your amazing grace as we just sung, Lord, our sin, not in part but the whole, was nailed to the cross. Lord, that grace that allows us to come together to worship you, that grace that allows us to cry out to you in whatever state our hearts and our mind is, to worship you in all circumstance. Lord, I just pray that we would continue to glorify and to honor you as we continue to praise and worship your name As we open your word together, Lord, I want to preach so that you are glorified. I want to speak of you, and I want to praise you. I want to continue to praise your name. Lord, there's no gifting that can make this turn out well outside of you. So Lord, by your spirit, help me to preach this sermon with the necessary power and the appropriate affection. Lord, please use this sermon to bring glory to your name, joy to your people, and salvation to the lost. Amen. So today we're finishing off our series on the marks of a healthy church, just taking a look at how God defines what a healthy church is to be, what it is to look like. We've looked at many subjects, including preaching the gospel, biblical theology, conversion, membership. Last week we took a look at evangelism and the importance it is and what it means. As uh, Corey from The Cross Current preached to us from Acts Today we're finishing it off with, uh, by looking at leadership. This is one of those wonderful times because you spend most of your time preaching to yourself. Um, and it's hard to, you know, we have deacons and it's hard to not just preach to them, but this is to us all. Because it's for us as well, because we are a congregational church. As we just talked about, we're voting on Matt becoming an associate pastor. So how else do we be faithful to what God has to say and how, what God defines as biblical leadership unless we know what it is? So we'll be opening that up today in 1 in Timothy. So if you have your Bibles with you, please open them to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-7. to seven. You know, when I was a kid, I, I don't even lie, not even as a kid, as a youth pastor, I used to play, we used to play this game when we went to retreats. So I don't know if they still do it up at the retreat, but Simon Says. Do they still do that? Nah, too bad. Except it was called Alex Street Says. Yes, so those are of us who are dating ourselves on this one because they don't do it anymore. Um, Simon Says is a fun little game that kids can play, adults can play. The object is ultimately to confuse, is it not? So, Simon, me, if I'm Simon, my name's not Simon, my name's Nathan. If I were to come up here, I would stand, I would get you guys to stand up and maybe jump on one foot or raise your hand up like this and all that sort of stuff and trying to switch things up and confuse you. So ultimately, there's one person standing who's ma- who has uh, been able to not be confused, um, and they win the game. And then it's their turn to become Simon. When you have someone saying one thing and doing another, it is confusing. It confuses people, and then they begin to fall, and the game ends. But as we look at why biblical eldership is important, I think it's important because it really ties well with Simon says, right? We have men who are gifted to lead the church, who are asking you, telling you, getting into the Word together, what to do. And if their life doesn't show what they are teaching or what they're preaching, it can become confusing. So biblical leadership is important, In fact, I would probably say that without biblical leadership, all the other marks don't really happen. Because if you don't have men who are showing the characteristics of Christ and showing you, follow me as I follow Christ, as Paul would say, that church won't become really healthy. So we see here in 1 Timothy 3, verses one And I'll be reading to verse 13, but we'll be focusing on verses 1 to 7. It says this, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer or elder, he desires a noble task. Therefore an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, Not a lover of money, he must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own house, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up and conceited and fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare. Of the devil. Verse 8 says Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be. Uh, dignified, not slanders, but sober minded, faithful in all things, like deacons each let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their house own household well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves, and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So in this section we have two offices that become plain to us. We have elders, we have deacons I'm going to quickly define these two because it's important to clarify these things. Elders are men given to the work of pastoral oversight and teaching. They're qualified by their character, their spiritual gifts, and their pastoral concern. They love the church. They love the church. See, the two most common names in the New Testament for this office is overseer and elder. So when I said overseer and elder, they're interchangeable. The New Testament refers to elders, indicate that there should be also a plurality of elders. Every time we see in the New Testament the elders being addressed, it's a plurality. It's not just one. There's more than one. It's a group. We see this in Titus and James. The New Testament speci- uh, specifies different elder roles. There's a preaching pastor, he is an elder. But not all elders are preaching pastors. So there's also this plurality of elders that is very important to the pastors and congregations. Simply saying this, is that I, if I am the only elder, there's no way I have all the giftings necessary that you need. There's no way. God, that's not even how God designed it. So there is a need for that. A plurality of elders distributes the pastoral work within the congregation beyond just an individual pastor's reach. A plurality of elders helps to counsel, support, supplement, and protect a pastor when decisions need to be made. Because I don't have all the answers. A group doesn't even have all the answers, but we seek to glorify God. A plurality of elders is an important leadership structure that promotes a church's continued responsibility and growth in spiritual matters. See, that's who leads the church. But as we see, there's also this office of deacons, and quickly, they are men given to the physical needs of the local church. They are qualified by their character, spiritual giftings, and also their pastoral concern. They love the church. They want to serve the church. You know, I've heard it said the best way to describe the deacon from a biblical standpoint is they serve tables. They're waiters. They just love to serve. Deacons are concerned for the administration and the maintenance of a church and the physical needs of its members. Deacons work to meet the physical needs of the church in order to free the ministers of the word and the elders to meet the spiritual needs of the church through the preaching and the praying of the word of God. So as we look through this, this these two. Sorry, these two paragraphs, we see these two offices come together, but for, as I said, we're going to be focusing on the elders because I think uh, for us as a church, um, I was even looking at the Constitution, the deacons serve alongside of the pastor to address the spiritual needs of the church. So, by that definition, we just want to focus on what elders are today. So, what is biblical leadership? It starts with the qualifications. We see this in in 1 Timothy 3. We also see it in Titus 1, verses 5 to 9. The office of an overseer or elder. Paul is talking about the office, not a person. This is one office held by many people. There is a team that he's implying here. Not, Not a person who is leading, but a group. And those group of men are to be what Paul begins to come out out here. He says, This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, whoa, hold on here. This is like against everything we know in the Canadian culture. Like we're like this fake humility thing going on because we really want to do things, but we're like, oh no, it's okay. You know, we try to manipulate the situation. So that they kinda, you know, force us to do what we actually really want to do. So it makes us look good. But Paul comes along here and it says they must aspire for it. He desires it. He wants it. It's talking about a, a, a strong desire. Rather than downplaying the position of, of church leader, Paul elevates it by saying that it is a good work. It's worthy to aspire to be one. The church needs leaders who do their job well, and it is a good thing that they aspire for that office, is it not? Because he begins to define what that looks like, what the person looks like who's aspiring for it. It's not just they aspire for it, they want that leadership. Their characteristics must be also matching with that desire. So when someone comes to me and says, I want to be an elder, I go, great. The Bible says to aspire. When I was transferring my ordination, when I came here, we went through this very passage. And they stopped at every point and said, how are you doing with this? How are we doing with that? And one of the guys says, do you want to be? Yes. Yes. So Paul elevates it. you got to want it. Faithful shepherding demands much of you. If you don't have an inner hunger for that role, you'll simply just get burned out. So this person, this man, he desires a noble task and a good work. It is good work because the overseer is instrumental in helping the church protect the truth of the gospel. This whole sermon series has been on the marks of a healthy church. And it takes a group of men with a character that Paul talks about here who aspire to be it to keep that church on track. To continue it on. Because if it's only based on one person, what happens if I get hit by a car on the way out of here? We're done, aren't we? You know, Matt and I are heading down to uh, Indianapolis tonight. It doesn't take much, we need a group. So they must also, and Peter talks about this as well, that they're not, to, it is a good work because that man wants to protect the church and not, and not, uh, it, this is not about a person who wants to covet that position, okay? They don't want to be domineering. First Peter 5 talks about that, that a leader, an elder should not be domineering. So a biblical leader is first qualified in the desire to do so. We can't keep putting people into positions that just simply don't want to be. But also they must exemplify godly character. And we see this in 1 Timothy 3, starting chapter, or verse 2. It's better a godly elder with mediocre leadership gifts than a charismatic leader with glaring moral flaws. That's exactly what that is saying. You notice that it has nothing, it doesn't say anything about leading. That he's charismatic, that people are always following. That, that will happen if they're exemplifying the character of Christ. People will want to be around them. But the priority is that they exemplify Christ likeness. A man who is above reproach displays an exemplary degree of Christ likeness. A, a, a true overseer must be the type of person whose personal behavior will counter that of the opponents. When someone comes and says, Pastor Nates, there's this rumor going on around about you, my character should disprove that. Hey, someone said that you stole a bunch of money. Well, oh, Pastor Nate wouldn't be the type of guy to steal that money. If I was below reproach, those rumors, I wouldn't be able to counter it with my character. So I must be someone who's above reproach. Being above reproach means that an elder is to be the kind of man whom no one suspects of wrongdoing or immorality. People would be shocked to hear this kind of man charged with such accusations. The B D Antibabwe says that. Why is this important? It's important because the congregation needs to trust its leaders. It safeguards the church as witness in the community. We talked about this with church discipline, did we not? It also applies to church leadership. We need to be above reproach. You need to be sober-minded. And self-control. So self-control, sober-minded, tempered, and and disciplined. Self-control is, is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. We saw that when we walked through Galatians in Galatians 5 23. And, and it is a mark of a Christian life. A spirit-filled man is a self-controlled man. He also must be gentle. Doesn't mean a weak or coward. He must be gentle. Jesus was gentle. He was no coward. And he wasn't weak. I think him walking into the temple and flipping a bunch of tables is a pretty good example of that. Have you ever read Revelation 19? I call that the UFC Jesus. (laughs) Like, that's not a Jesus you mess around with. But he's gentle. And we saw that in Ezekiel, that Matt was reading in Ezekiel 34, describing the shepherd. And he will go seek his sheep. And he will bring them to pastors. And he will feed them. If, if an elder or an overseer, if church leaders, who, to exemplify Christ, they must be gentle. But it doesn't mean that you're a coward. doesn't mean that you're going to get away with sinning. It means we're going to address it. But we will do it with gentleness. He also continues on here. We need to be gentle elders exercising our authority with the tenderness of a shepherd and the sensitivity of a loving father. We also, church leaders, need to be people who aren't lovers of money. See, and this is the important thing, when money-loving men lead a church, Spending towards the poor or church planting or global evangelism or just local evangelism dries up. They're more concerned with how things look rather than the proclamation of the gospel. They must be hospitable. Yeah, did you ever think that? That a requirement for church leadership is to actually have people over to your house? I'm growing in this, I really am. But when you think about it, you get to eat food. Yeah. So it's not hard. (laughs) But yes, it is a requirement. It It is a requirement for church leaders to have people in our home. And even in this text, it is showing more specifically to strangers. Not just the church. That we would be open to other people coming into our home. And this will tie in later on. Hospitality reveals kindness and compassion and care for the needy, the lost, and the lonely. But it also allows other people to see our family in action. How else do people know how much of a screw-up I am as a father if they don't come into my home? (laughs) But on the flip side, it says that they need to lead his family well. Because it's not just necessarily about perfection, it's about how we are addressing our faults and our fails. We need to lead our family well. See, back to the, he desires a noble task, Paul says that a church leader should care for his family, not rule as a dictator, and that he should have, not make, his children in in submission, I can hear Peter's words echoing here. Tend the flock of God that that is in your charge. Not by constraint, he says, but willingly. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not as domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Marriage and parenting act as proving ground for leaders. Leaders. And this is why we bring people into our home. This is why we watch. They must also be a one-woman man, a faithful husband that loves his wife as he is commanded to in Ephesians 5 because how you handle your bride matters very much. If you would care for the bride of Christ. One of the most terrifying things is that we have been put in charge, the bride of Christ. And how I treat my wife will be in a direct corresponding to how I treat the church. It's important. When I look at elders, when I look at deacons, when I look at church leaders, I always ask the wife, How are you doing? What what do you think of him? And I do it alone so that they can be honest. Because it matters. Because how I treat my wife will determine how I treat the bride of Christ. It matters. Effective father, learn to share God's family by shepherding yours first. If you want to aspire to be an elder, praise God, okay? Don't, I will never, ever say, oh, you shouldn't do that. I might make sure that your heart's right. I won't give you all the rosy details. Shepherd your family well. Be an effective father. But here's the thing for all you parents out there. Her children are very disobedient. <laughs> yeah, all children disobey their parents. You ever know that? I I didn't know that until I was a parent. Actually, I'm I was a youth pastor first, so I was well aware well aware of that. Most children can be wild and unru- unruly at times. The point is that not that a church leader. That, there, that the church's leaders' uh, children never disobey him. The point is that the father leads his home with, through, through consistency, godly instruction, and, and disciple, which leads the children who generally obey and submit to him. You see, we can't control conversion, right? We learned about this. God controls that. But teaching children to obey and to be respectful and all those things, that's parenting style. Now, that's a broad statement, but that's generally the truth. Also, the next one is this they have to be able to teach the Bible. There's a story of a man who is going up for eldership, and the pastor asks his wife again, Can this man teach? They must be able to teach. Effectively, all that God has called us, all Christians are called to have the character of, of that exemplifies Christ, but only elders are required to be able to teach. Did you notice that? We see this in Titus 1, verses 9. Can you fruitfully and verbally communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ and the beauty of it? Do you know Bible doctrine enough Do you know? I was once told that the, di- uh, that the gospel is like the diamond. It's like a diamond. And for all you ladies, that you can look at your rings, right? And you see it. I don't have one, I just got plain old gold. You know, and you're looking at it, and it's been cut, right? So you can look at it at different angles, and you see this beauty of this diamond. It's still the same gospel. Can you effectively proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, showing its beauty to the people around you? Can you fruitfully do that? Which leads to this idea that they must not be an established—they be- must be an established believer. In 1 Timothy three six, can you articulate what God has done for you and saved you from? Is there wisdom and experience behind you? Things which a new believer would lack. We aren't talking about age here. We're talking about spiritual maturity. I have a friend of mine who's been saved for, I think, seven years. He is the best lay elder I've ever met in my entire life. He has grown. We can argue all day long, him and me. I have text message threads just full of arguing. But it has to do with spiritual maturity. Those who the Holy Spirit is building characteristics of Christ, sanctifying them as they take fruitful steps of obedience. He must be well thought of by outsiders. You know? Could I go out to a potential elder's neighbor and say, hey, what do you think of Billy? There's no, yeah, there's no Billy, Yeah. What do you think of Billy? Is he a good guy? What do you think of him? I should be able to do that. He must be well thought of, of people outside of the church. They must be men. God calls men and only men to be elders of the church. Paul here says twice, he must be a one-woman man. Paul links leading the church to leading a family, just like we see in Ephesians five. Just as men are led in marriage and, and parenting, yes, parenting, you're not allowed to be an absentee father. So he calls men to lead the church family. We must resemble Jesus if we want to lead, and Jesus embodies all of these characteristics at its core. If if One does not exemplify these characteristics. They aren't growing in their relationship with Christ. But we need to understand this. We're also saved by God's amazing grace. And not by our works. We're not going to get it right all the time. God knows I don't get it right. My wife and my children know that I don't get it right. And when I have to stoop down to my child and say, (laughs) so-and-so, you have to forgive me. I was domineering. I yelled when I shouldn't have. Will you forgive me? But we are saved by God's grace. Do I repent of my failures, of my sin, of, of my harm that I've done? Am I fighting, am I desiring, am I striving, taking steps of obedience to the strength of the Holy Spirit to be holy as He is holy? Am I striving after the holiness that God has called me to be because He is holy? We are people who have been saved by God's amazing grace. We have all sins. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We all need a Savior. We all need to be rescued. But praise God for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Christ died for our sins. And rose again. Am I resting in the one who perfectly fulfilled all of these characteristics? But that's why we have meaningful relationships with one another. So that we can spur each other on to these thing, These things. As men are chosen to be elders based on their qualifications, as elders approach those who they believe are meeting these standards, we see that in Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 16, that what an elder's job is to do were to equip people for the good work that God has prepared beforehand. I think of Colossians 1, verses 28 to 29 as fitting. Him we proclaim, mourning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toll, toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. So the Bible talks about this very Clearly. Well, there's one last thing this plurality thing, because I think a lot of churches struggle with this idea. You mean there's supposed to be more than one? I think the best way I can think about it is this illustration of a volunteer firefighter and the paid. We have friends of ours who are firefighters, um, and you ask them, What's the difference between you and a volunteer firefighter? The response is, is I get paid. <laughs> See, regardless if they're a volunteer firefighter or a, paid volu- or a paid firefighter, they both go into the same fire. That's what they do. But God has set some apart, and in, when we apply this to church memberships, God has set people apart to be paid. In the church, there are two groups of elders, paid and lay. We often call paid elders pastors, but the word pastor actually is the job description of an elder. We are to shepherd the flock. And as under-shepherds, biblical examples of plurality of, of elders are, are, are clear in Acts 14 and James 5 and 1 Timothy 4. But what is the role Mark Dever in his book, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, when he talks about this, he has this thing called BOSS. It's cool. BOSS. B-O-S-S. And think about it as four triangles. Okay? B equals BOSS. (laughs) Christ himself commanded many things. For instance, he commanded us to instruct others Paul commanded. He told Christians to tell other Christians what to do. He instructed elders to decide what should be taught, though to do this with gentleness and with patience and endurance. Elders must, be, must teach carefully because God will hold us accountable for how faithful we have been to his word. Church leaders, like any leader, must sometimes command, make decisions, and take responsibility for them. So the first one is B, equaling boss. The next letter is, oh, they must be out front. Being out front, taking the initiative and setting the example. Good leaders take initiative. You've got to think of World War II. I like history. I like to read. I'm not like hardcore like some people. I was talking with someone, and I was like, I thought I was good. Uh, but this individual who goes to the church was way better than me. Um, but think about World War II. Think about General Rommel. Who Rommel. Rommel. He was taught, called the uh, Desert Fox. That guy was crazy. He would actually lead. He would be out front with his men, leading the charge, leading the initiative. They set the example. And as part of our leadership were to be examples. S, the first S is to supply. Good leadership strategically works to give shape and focus and freedom to the work that others are called to do. Leaders direct the traffic of the church, cutting up ministries into bite sized bits that other people will be able to handle. And then the second S is this, serve. We see this in Christ as he fully gave himself for us on the cross dying for us so that we might live in him. So what? Why does it matter? It matters. Congregations have a responsibility to recognize, to trust, and to honor those whom God has gifted to lead. But how can you do that if you don't know what the qualifications are? Congregations must cultivate a culture of thankfulness where leaders are honored and esteemed as gifts of Christ to the church. Paul talks about this in Ephesians 4 verse 11. Hebrews 13 verse 7 says, A leader's untrustworthiness and a congregation's lack of trust are serious deficiencies in a church and are not biblical models. Why we need men who are leading lives this way. Congregations are called to obey and to submit to leaders, which requires them to trust. Imperfect. Oh, we're imperfect. Yet qualified. And the leadership of the church has a role to feed God's sheep with the word of God, to guide and to protect. In my, I uh, totally forgot about it. In my office, if you've been in my office, I have a shepherd's staff and a rod. I never actually thought about it. I grew up memorizing the verse, right? Thy thy staff and thy rod, they comfort me. (laughs) There's my King James. But here there are two tools of the shepherd. One is to guide the sheep. The other one is to beat back the wolves. And if you ever, if you want, you can come to my office, you can play it. Matt plays with my rod, the rod all the time. It's like, you're going to break something. He's like swinging it around. It's heavy. And it can kill someone if you swung it around. But it's the tools of, of, and of the trade, of being a shepherd. We guide with gentleness and correct and bring about and encourage but we're fierce when it comes to wolves and we beat them back I remember when I was becoming ordained so you remember uh, from my induction service Steve Forsey preached and I still remember what he said to me as he was handing me these tools he said make sure that you use the right tools on the right people <laughs> right because we're called to be gentle and f- but firm As someone just said over there. We're called to protect the sheep from attackers. I remember uh, not too long ago, I was in a church. This was in Burlington, and someone came into the church. uh, And I, I, I try to make sure that I get to know people who come in and say hi, at least. And I was talking to him, I'm going, this guy, there's something off about him. And then I start talking to friends of mine. A, a, a number, another person comes into my, uh, up to me after I talk, a member of the church, and says, hey, have you talked to that person? I'm like, yeah. Do you know where they're from? I was like, I don't know. I don't think so. Like, well, they were up at the church up the streets. And then I went, oh, I remember. So we had to have a frank conversation. I'm here to protect the sheep. You know, the crazy... People, two men who walk around going into churches here in London, they showed up at a friend of uh, a friend of our Summerside Church not too long ago, and Pastor Devin had to physically escort them out of the building. You will not be here. We're called to protect the flock, the sheep. We're called to feed them with the Word of God and to guide. And while protecting both themselves, ourselves as leaders in the church through the wisdom of the plurality, and yes, obviously we're called to lead, the bottom line is this. Biblical church leadership is important because without it, God's people are like sheep without a shepherd. Remember, Simon says, biblical leadership is necessary for a healthy church. A church without biblical leadership is like a flock without shepherds. The biblical eldership starts with an understanding of what the Bible says is true about biblical leadership. It's not about do what I say and not what I do, it's about do what I say and watch me as I do it. It also affects our witness, doesn't it? That's why we've been put on this planet. We've been saved by God's grace. We're called to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. If we aren't exemplifying Christ, it affects our witness in major ways. At some point, a church will exemplify her leaders. (laughs) And by God's grace, it won't be my fault. The leaders need to exemplify Christ. And I can't express this more to you. Um, people, you know, they say, we're praying for you, Pastor. I, I really do appreciate that. Like there's, I was even, as I was reading through this passage as I it this morning uh, or this week, uh, for some reason this week, I just could not sleep. And you feel like uh, you're being attacked, right? Because you're going over these qualifications and all you can think of is how much you suck at them. So I appreciate your prayers. Pray for your deacons, though. And not just say, God, pray." For, I pray for the deacons. Pray for them by name. Raise them up in prayer. You know, pray for Dave Noble and Dave DeHaan. Pray for Wayne Amos and Keith Albion and Kevin Knights. Pray for Matt. Pray for them. That we may exemplify the character of Christ. So that we may grow to be a faithful church, a faithful witness in this community, for the glory and God, of God. Your deacons have been reading through a book called Conviction to Lead. It's been interesting, to say the least. It's in the library, or it will be once I put it there. It's called Conviction to Lead. If you want to pick it up, it's 25 Principles for Leadership That Matters by a guy named Albert Moeller. He's the president of Southern Baptist Seminary. That's it, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, down in Louisville, Kentucky. He's a good Baptist man, loves God, good thinker, it's very biblical. Read it. But if you want to know a little bit more about eldership and what's, how to shepherd God's people like Jesus, there's a great book that is in there called Church Elders. Kind of easy. It's brown, for colorblind. Take it out and read it if you want to know a little bit more. If you're a man who's aspiring to be an elder, praise God. I will never discourage that. Men who want to grow in Christ-likeness, folks, like, that's awesome. God is working. Pray for that, that God would raise up men who would do that and be that. So pray with me in these things. Let me close off in prayer. Father God, I just thank you for today. I thank you for the reminder of your word. I thank you for your grace as well. And that even as I look through this list, Lord, I just am reminded of your grace and how you are continually working in my life. Lord, I pray for our deacons here. I pray for Dave Noble and Dave DeHaan, for Wayne Amos, for Kevin Knight, for Keith Albion. Lord, I pray that as a group, as, uh, and, Matt, and Matt as well, Lord, that as, as a group of leaders, that we would exemplify Christ so that we can say to the flock here at Nolwood Follow us as we follow Christ. May we love her as you loved us. And Lord, may we all aspire to be what you have called us to be, to be faithful so that we can be better witnesses for your glory in this community. And amen.